This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There won't be a championship football team in Ohio this year. Maybe next year. The Bengals are out. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. We got stuff to talk about. Let's go. Even though Jason Stevens is the bona fide Ohio House Speaker, Derek Marin says he's the House Republican leader and controls the caucus bank account, which is a key level lever of power. We did some digging. Lisa, who's in charge here? It's not clear because both Jason Stevens and Derek Marin say that they're in charge of that bank account. But Stevens and his chosen House GOP campaign committee chair, Jeff LaRue of Fairfield County, have corporate debit cards for the bank account of the Ohio House Republican Alliance, or ORA, which provides money for uh, Republican candidate campaigns throughout the state. Derek Marin says that he should control the account because he was named caucus chair by supporters last week, which, by the way, is a brand new position. It never existed before. And Marin named Phil Plummer of Dayton as the OBRA chair. Uh, Plummer says the state law states that campaign funds should be administered and controlled in a manner designated by the caucus. So he says Stevens has no authority to spend that money. And if he tries to spend the money, he will end up in court. Stevens says, well, you know, lots of people bring frivolous lawsuits. This doesn't sound that frivolous to me. If the Republicans, who are the Republican caucus, vote in the majority for Marin, it seems like he should have control of that bank account. But why did they create a new position just for him? Well, normally the the leader of the House is by acclamation of the party, but because so many members of his own party mm. didn't vote for him, mm. this I, I this is look, Marin is a Fruit Loop. He's very, very out there and he keeps fighting and fighting, but he actually seems to have a point here. This will end up in the courts. I don't understand how Stevens could get that card because more Republicans than not didn't want him as their leader. Yeah, it's interesting how he did get the card. I think that's probably worth digging into. But uh, it sounds like, you know, the the Marin, we're calling them the Marin Republicans, or like 45 of them are, um, you know, trying to assert their power. Stephen should work quickly to win over as many of them as he can so he can stop this ridiculous division that seems like it's getting in the way of business. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The talk last week about disgraced former House Speaker Larry Householder flying to Washington in the private jet of the company that admits bribing him is not the only evidence that Ohio might need revisions to its ethics rules. We found all sorts of reasons, Laura. What are some? 
Yeah, this piece by Andrew Tobias looked at all sorts of gray areas or even loopholes in state ethics law that basically enabled Householder to do what he did, that the prosecutors say that he did, or perhaps made them perfectly legal. So flying on private planes is one of them, the limitless of dark money, accepting gifts from people who aren't lobbyists, but not having to disclose what they are or what they're worth. And Ohio laws are much more lax than congressional laws, and no one's really doing anything about it. So a group of House Republicans, they, right before the householder trial, announced a proposed set of ethics reforms they said would address some of these issues exposed by the House Bill 6 scandals. But we don't really know what's going to happen. This was Derek Maron's agenda. We just talked about the the power struggle between Maron and Stevens, and and it borrows some ideas from a Democratic bill bills that failed to advance last year. But some Democrats are suspicious of Maron's motivations. So there are some ideas out there to at least put some guardrails because. I, I love the analogy in the story. Like if you have a speed limit of 60 miles an hour, somebody's going to go 70, right? But you're going to get pulled over if you're going 120. If there are no guardrails at all, if there are no speed limits, then how do you know what's legal and illegal? And so he goes into depth on all of these issues, like the private planes. You can fly on one. You could, you can, if you're an elected official, you just have to reimburse them for the cost of a coach flight on, on a commercial airline, which is like a couple hundred dollars. That is not the full cost of your freight on these private planes. We're entering a very odd time for government where government elected leaders are trying to hide more and more what they do. After Watergate, way back in the 70s, there was a movement across America to really have transparency in government and public records laws were fortified. But last week in Arizona, the legislature voted to exempt all of its records from the records law. And here in Ohio, we have this kind of spending, buying of our politicians that you can't follow. It's just, this is not where we were. We've gone so far backwards. It's almost like you have a, a... authoritarian government. Once they get in office, they don't serve the people. They serve themselves at the expense of the people. They serve the people who are paying them uh, money to their campaign funds so they can get elected again, right? That's where a lot of this is coming. And maybe you look back to the Supreme Court decision that allowed the dark money to foster because you don't have to, dark money can support whoever they want and you don't know where it comes from. And that seems like, (laughs) I mean, It's a pun, right? The shadiest part of all of this. And the fact that you can get gifts. So anything over $75, politicians in Ohio do have to disclose on an ethics form, but you don't have to say how much it's worth and you don't have to say who it's from. So you could get like, I think our state house editor, Rick Ruan told me, you know, you could throw out the pitch at an Indian or sorry, Guardians game, get a jersey from them. That would be the same line on your ethics form as somebody giving you $10,000 worth of whatever from from a, a, a company. And you just you don't have to say. Why, why do you not have to say? Yeah, it's too bad that there's not a well-funded good government group that could put together a constitutional amendment to forever enshrine in the Constitution the transparency laws because the government is completely out of control now where you don't know what is going on. And the only reason we're learning about what Householder did is because the Justice Department investigated him. It's a good story by Andrew Tobias. It's on Cleveland.com. Check it out. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Hey, Leila, how many Ohioans are seeking to cancel their college loan debt under the embattled forgiveness program? 
Reporter Sabrina Eaton tells us that 1,079,000 Ohioans are seeking debt cancellation under this program, and the Education Department estimates that about 1.5 million are actually eligible for it. And so far, 702,000 of those applicants have been approved to cancel a portion of their student debt. Nationally, the U.S. Department of Education received more than 26 million loan discharge applications and approved more than 16.4 million of them. They estimated about 40 million borrowers are eligible for this kind of relief, but no one has actually had their debt forgiven because of the legal challenges that stand in the way. In fact, the education department was forced to stop accepting loan discharge applications only a month into the program, and loan servicers were prevented from discharging those that were already approved. Of course, the opposition to the debt relief plan is that, you know, Republicans say when you take out a loan, it's with the understanding that you're going to have to pay it back and that forgiving this much student debt is unfair to people who have already paid back their loans. And it sends the wrong message to future borrowers. And they also say it unfairly shifts the burden of paying off the debt to the rest of the taxpayers. It seems like a little bit of a gambit here because, let's face it, these could all be voters. And so now they have visions in their eyes of being wiped out of their debt and the mean Republicans are going to take it away. I, I think this is the Biden administration saying, hey, voters, look what I'm trying to do for you. Well, exactly. And look what's happening I, to stop it. I don't think that's a stretch at all. Over a million Ohioans is nothing to sneeze at. And those are all people, obviously, you know, who are eligible voters most for the most part, I'm sure. So I, I uh, you know, that is that really is rolling the dice. Yeah, it's still. I still think this pits generations against each other. There, I've heard from quite a few seniors that just flat out disagree with this. They, whatever loans they've taken out in their lives, they've paid off, and everybody should do the same. But young people who experience college with prices none of us could ever have imagined because we've broken the deal to provide reasonable education are, are under mountains of debt that the older generations never, never really had to deal with. So it's it's creating divides all over the place. Of course. It's today in Ohio. An unusual law has been proposed to change how people driving under the influence would be prosecuted if marijuana is the cause of that influence. Lisa, this is complicated. So of course I give it to you to explain <laughs> what does this proposal do? Yeah, it's Senate Bill 26. And what it does, it allows motorists to provide evidence and witnesses proving that they have a medical condition that's being legally treated by marijuana. Uh, Nathan Manning, Senator Nathan Manning, the Republican from North Ridgeville, is the bill's sponsor. He tried to push it through the last legislature, but it died after a couple of hearings. Um, he says, and he's a former prosecuting attorney as well, so he's dealt with cases like this. And because marijuana stays in your system, up to 30 days, some people who are pulled over may not actually be high when they're pulled over. Um, Urine and blood testing limits on, you know, marijuana for, you know, DUI or OVI, as you call it in Ohio, still stays the same. But he wants, you know, people to be able to have their day in court. And he anticipates that municipal courts, which usually handle tickets, won't be flooded with cases. 
But Ohio Prosecuting Attorneys Association Director Lewis Tobin says not so fast. He says that this law would increase workload and costs, and he's more worried about public safety. He feels that drivers would be getting away with OVI and encouraging others to drive while under the influence of marijuana. Senator Manning says he's going to work with the Ohio Department of Public Safety on like um, things that would be tolerable to them to amend this bill and get it through the legislature. And I want to point out that Michigan and Pennsylvania, which have marijuana, recreational and or medical, they have zero tolerance laws. They ban any amount of THC or its metabolites in their blood if they pull you over. But they're looking for impaired drivers and they would give them field sobriety tests. And if the the field sobriety test is questionable, then they can move on to get a chemical test. Right. That that's what's troubling about this. I if, if the system works like it's supposed to, a police officer sees somebody driving erratically in some way, pulls them over. And if they get a sense that they are not fit to drive, they get them out of the car and they give them those exercises to see, can you do these exercises? Are you impaired? If the officer sees them failing those exercises, that's when they test them. And if the test comes back positive for these marijuana compounds, you would think that would be slam dunk. But this would I think this would cause chaos because everybody because OVI, let's face it, it's a serious ticket. Your insurance goes up, you're getting all sorts of trouble. Everybody's going to go fight this if they can. They just got to get a friendly judge to say, yeah, I don't think you were impaired. I mean, how how does this how is this fair? I think there is a kernel of fairness in here because of the way marijuana stays in your system. But like you said, they're not going to get pulled over unless they're driving erratically. Now, if they were pulled over for another primary, you know, offense and then tested, you know, I don't know. What would I... What would be beneficial about this is we know that police have not always had the best motives and that they target and they racially discriminate. And this might remove some of the ability to do that, um, which which would be a positive. It's just it seems like it's opening up a can of worms that that although I guess, Lisa, there are compounds in marijuana that do cause you to get high. There are compounds in marijuana that could be in your bloodstream for 30 days that are not causing you to be high. Why, why doesn't the system differentiate so that they're only focused on the compounds that get you high? Right. And, you know, they're testing for THC and its metabolites because it changes as it, you know, moves through your body. So, yeah, I think they need to, like, narrow that down and come up with a more focused, standardized test. And quite frankly, I don't think a lot of marijuana people, even if they were under the influence, they could probably pass a field sobriety test, quite frankly. Okay. Interesting law, interesting proposal. I'm sure we'll be talking about it further. It's today in Ohio. We thought we were finished with the revelations about gigantic payouts for Metro Health execs, but now come the golden parachutes. A reader sent us a tip saying, you ought to look for the golden parachutes. We filed a records request. Holy moly, Laura, how much are these folks getting? This is a lot of money, fifty dollars to $100,000 each of these executives for a total of $350,000. Or in the case of Jane Platten, who is basically the chief of staff, she's a VP, her whole 2023 salary north of a half a million dollars. And this is a whole lot of money for a publicly subsidized taxpayer paid hospital system that just, you know, has been embattled. Was it early November that this came out about Akram Boutros, the former uh, CEO? 
who the board says basically gave himself bonuses that were unauthorized. And we just keep looking. And the latest one for Jane Platten, the separation agreement was signed December 16th by the new CEO, Erica Steed. Well, there's a couple. I mean, one, let's point out, she's getting paid for all of 2023 and she's not working. She's getting a half million dollars plus to do nothing. I don't think you can put this on the new CEO, though. I think this goes back to Akram Boutros and the board signing contracts with these folks that said you'll get paid through 2023. Mm -hmm. So these executives that that we started with, they get paid for that money, even if they lose their jobs now whether they they as long as they don't leave on their own it seems yeah i mean mean, they're they're forced out right if they're forced out they get that money and so i think the new ceo cut she probably had her hands tied yeah Yeah. she cut the deal i think to to stop the bleeding and look i i this is sad right i mean this is just such a a sad ending jane platten has had this storied career in northeast ohio i mean she worked with the the Tim McCormick, when he was county commissioner, did all sorts of things. She reformed the elections office when it was a disaster. She Uh had a good run as the prosecutor's office chief of staff under Tim McGinty. And now she's got this cloud over her head that that tarnishes the entire legacy. I don't think you can blame Jane Platten for cutting the deal. But what what people forget, and this is the sense you get from the latter years of Akron Boutros, they forgot they were a public hospital serving poor people. And started thinking of themselves as competing with the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals. They're not that. They're not a nonprofit hospital. They are a public hospital. And to have these gigantic amounts of money flying, the outrage for the story, which we published Friday afternoon and then Saturday's Plain Dealer. I mean, I was hearing from people during the weekend. This one really upsets people. So it's going to be interesting. What will the county council, what will the county executive Chris Ronane do now? to stop this from ever happening again. Right. I, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, but the, so the people you heard from Chris, were they outraged at the executives who got the golden parachutes or the board who granted them? That They're outraged at the arrangement that was made to give these folks money. And, and look what they, what everybody wonders, is this why nobody ever said Akram Boutros has given himself $2 million in bonuses without approval of the board? Uh, I mean, the board put, Akron Boutros in charge of the bonus program. He took that as a license to give to to both review his performance. He reviewed his own performance. Who does that? And then give himself the money. And the board did not know that. So lots of people are very upset about all of these shenanigans that were going on. But if if I'm paying these people all this extra money and giving them stay clauses that reward them. Are they going to raise a flag and say, hey, Akram Boutros collected $2 million board that you don't know about? No way, because they're getting well taken care of. And that's what the outrage is about. And these people are making uh, base salaries. Uh, the ones that are going to $100,000 are base salaries for $575,000, 470000 385 I mean, these people are incredibly well paid. And I mean, that's why the bonuses are so high, right? We're talking about executive vice presidents and people you're not seeing their names. They're not up there with Akram Boutros all the time, but they are getting a hefty salary to work at a public hospital. Well, it includes the chief financial officer who Mm -hmm. would be the one that sees the dollars. I think there's more news coming on this today. I think today is the deadline for the Metro Health to respond to Akram Boutros's first lawsuit 
against the the hospital for firing him. So we'll have to see what they say. It's Today in Ohio. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Why is Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost taking credit for Dollar General stores in Ohio closing down temporarily Friday to change their prices? Layla, when the inflation is high like it is, this is a hot button for people. If they're being charged more than the price on the items. Right. In November, Yost had filed lawsuits against Dollar General and Family Dollar, and he accused them of charging higher prices at the register than what is marked on the shelves. And he alleged violations of the State Consumer Sales Protection Act, requesting the court order the company to stop the practice and pay a $25,000 fine for each violation. In a, in a request earlier this month for a preliminary injunction, Yost said his office has received more than 100 complaints against this, against these stores alleging deceptive pricing practices since he filed the lawsuit. So now some of these dollar general locations shut down on Friday to retag their shelf prices according to Yoast. But the company, on the other hand, said in a statement that the stores closed to, quote, address an overnight systems error that they say has now been resolved. The statement said the stores have since reopened, but they did not respond when asked how many stores closed or whether the closures are related to the lawsuit. The Dollar General attorneys say Yost's allegations are not based on evidence and that they they defend the store's pricing by saying that customers can plainly see the prices at the cash register, which should solve any discrepancy issues with the price on the shelf. I laughed out loud when I read that because – I mean, I, I'm certain that I, I would bet that the discrepancy is is so marginal that it slides right past people. Also, do you when you're unloading your cart and putting stuff on a conveyor belt, are you able to watch everything that gets rung up? I mean, haven't you ever looked at your receipt at the end going, how did that end up adding up to that much? But you're like, OK, I just must be wrong, right. And right? you're not you're not calculating in your head as you're putting stuff in your cart. You don't really remember. And especially if it's like 10 cents here, 20 cents here. You know what I mean? It's it's just going to. You're, it's going to pass you by. It's funny because... And, and if you're shopping a de- Dollar General often, like those 10 and 20 cents are going to really add up. Right. My mother-in-law insists, and it's not either one of these stores. It's another, it's a big box store. She has insisted for years that they they do this. And I kind of have always rolled my eyes at it. And I was like, that would never happen. And then when this lawsuit hit, I was like, well... I'll be damned. <laughs> well, and let's face it, dollar stores cater to people who can least afford this, right? This is a place where people who are pressed for money will go to save a few dollars. And and if this is happening, you're taking advantage of that. I put a question out on, on subtext day, the text message I send to 1,700 plus people every day asking them, do you monitor your cash register receipts? Because I suspect that the only way to ensure honesty is if people pay attention. Cuyahoga County has a unit that we wrote about on occasion. We haven't written about it, I think, Laura, since you were covering the county now, that goes out and tests these things. They, they go and they check the scanners, but it's it's random and it's not a, as great a way to, to do it. I mean, you see their stickers on every gas pump. So 
Um, anyway, it'd be interesting to hear whether people are being vigilant or not, because this is uh, this is a way people could get scammed. It's today in Ohio. Here's a mind blower. What new train service is being seriously considered for Northeast Ohio? Lisa, a new train route? A new old, well, a, a new route for an old train. So the North Ohio, Northeastern Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, NOACA, reached an infor- informal agreement last Thursday on what their roles and responsibilities might be to expand the Cuyahoga Valley Scenic Railroad 10.8 miles north from its terminus at Rockside Road into downtown Cleveland at Tower City. But uh, Grace Gallucci with NOACA says, you know, we need to hire a consultant as soon as possible to start a 12 to 18 month feasibility study because they need to have a shovel ready plan in place within four years so they can get a chunk of that infrastructure bill money that was passed by Congress. So uh, this would be about a 10.8 mile extension. It would be along tracks that are owned by CSX. So the infrastructure is already there, but you'd have to work with the railroad to uh, get the rights to that rail. Partners in this effort include the city of Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, Cleveland Metro Parks, the National Park, of course, the Port of Cleveland and Canalway Partners, and they will all share the cost of this feasibility study. We don't know what the cost of that is just yet. Um, So the Cuyahoga Valley Scenic Railroad is a 26-mile line from Akron to Rockside Road. It carries about 170,000 passengers a year, and they have a $6 million budget. Now, this is not the first time they've tried to extend the railway. Um, Previous efforts failed most recently in 2008, but they say the difference now is that that federal infrastructure money is there for the taking, and so... uh, uh, they, you know, want to go for that. You know, when we talked about train service a week ago, Layla said, I'd, I'd like to see if there's actually demand for this before you start. Is is it right to build it and figure they'll come? This sounds like a wonderful idea, right? Let's give Cleveland residents easy access to that jewel that is the national park that always is ranked highly in every survey. But will they use it? And if you spend all this money for a train that nobody uses, you have a new lakefront line like we had on RTA. Well, and we went through this with Houston, which is totally anti-passenger rail. And they finally got like a little five-mile section that's used to death, quite frankly. But this dovetails with the national parks. They have a public access plan that they're you know, now completing to get more people to come to the park and make it easier for people to get to the park. And it also dovetails with the completion of the northernmost section of the towpath trail. So they think this will all kind of tie together in like this intermodal system that will give more people access to the park. Can I ask if any of you have ridden this train? Yeah, I have. Okay. Anyone else? No, I have not yet. I have. Okay. Okay. So I did it for the Polar Express rides and I've done the bike, the bike one where like you, you know, you bike one way in the train. That's exactly what I used it for. Both of those things. The (laughs) slowest train ever. I'm like, oh my gosh, please let me off this train. And <laughs> that is my thought. See, we did it for the wine, the wine ride. So you didn't mind going slow. <laughs> I was like, uh, I could definitely bike fast. I mean, I couldn't actually bike faster than this train, but you feel like you could. 
So it's it's not gonna it's not a bullet train. It's, it's a good yeah, point that when you're care when you have a beverage, especially a steaming hot cup of cocoa during Polar Express, and you hand it to a toddler, it's a good to have a slow train. <laughs> yeah, well that's true. Also, while you're drinking beer or wine, I, I feel like there should be beverages served with the train. Well, and it's not Amtrak. I mean, the locomotives date back to the 40s and 50s, and the passenger mm-hmm. cars, you know, are, are vintage as well. So I would think they would have to update their rolling stock possibly, and maybe increase their speed limits but that's all yet to be determined. It's it's part of the experience, right? Mm -hmm. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I'm going to skip ahead. Marty Sweeney is an elected member of Cuyahoga County Council, so why can't he introduce legislation like elected officials everywhere else in Northeast Ohio? Layla, this is a head-scratcher story. Yeah, it's, it's a percolating controversy among county council. Sweeney says Council President Purnell Jones Jr. barred him from introducing two pieces of legislation last week, which very well could be an improper infringement of Sweeney's powers as a council member. And the backstory is this. Sweeney had drafted these two resolutions. One seeks to boost pay for a handful of county workers. It would modify the county's non-bargaining pay scales by pushing back the maximum wage each pay grade can earn to allow every classified employee who is eligible for an average 6.4% market wage adjustment to receive at least that amount. The other resolution seeks to clarify where the sheriff falls in the chain of command. Sweeney wants to amend the county code to state that the sheriff reports directly to the executive because that point has been really ambiguous under the charter's current language, which has left it open to interpretation. But when Sweeney sent these resolutions to the clerk to be added to the agenda last week, Purnell Jones wouldn't let them be introduced. He said that Sweeney hadn't followed the traditional protocol of giving his colleagues a proper heads up and attempting to get at least half of them to buy into his proposals. And this obviously rankled Sweeney. And he brought it up during the miscellaneous portion of the council meeting last week. He even passed out copies of the legislation that he wanted to introduce. And he said he didn't understand why it was pulled from the agenda. Jones and at least one other council member, Sonny Simon, gave Sweeney a bit of a scolding during the meeting and said, we know you're new here and you're just learning, but this is the way we do things. (laughs) They said that the proper protocol is to come up with a concept, ask council staff to draft the legislation, then share that legislation with the committee chairperson who's likely to hear it, and then discuss it with Purnell Jones for approval and then submit it to the clerk for the agenda. But the problem is the charter doesn't give Jones the power to withhold legislation or decide what does or doesn't make it to the agenda. It simply says council members submit legislation of the clerk to accept it and record it and compile it for the agenda. So, you know, Jones defended his actions and said he doesn't stop legislation from being introduced. He only insists that council members speak to the committee chair as a courtesy before they do that. And he said he does plan on putting Sweeney's pieces on a future agenda. And he also insists that Sweeney agreed to that plan. Sweeney denies it. So they're in a little bit of a standoff on this. Look, the, the idea that Marty Sweeney is new here. He was city council president <laughs> know, for a funny. decade. And and it's clear Marty Sweeney and Pernell Jones have gone at each other. Pernell Jones screwed up here. He gave Marty the upper hand. I mean, he's a ward councilman. To represent his ward, he gets to submit legislation. It's also populist legislation. Yeah, right. And all, all Jones had to do was let him introduce it and then never move it. We see this all the time in the legislature. Don't put it up for committee hearings. Just let it sit. And and then Sweeney can't do anything. But by depriving him of the basic right of an elected official to introduce legislation, you created this. And, and Jones, now, 
Jones Sweeties. sort of acknowledged during the meeting the, the populist nature of this legislation. He was like, well, you know, your proposal is is seeking to give raises to some count, you know, some county workers. And and that's going to make you really popular as the as the proposer of this. <laughs> and it, it made it look as if I mean, it just it just looked so transparently bad. Like, you know, that I council know. doesn't want to be in a position of voting down something that's so popular. And so he's trying to prevent them from suffering that that outcome <laughs> you, you got to give sweeney points of for course. strategy he played this he played this hand just perfectly to have the upper hand right. and and jones got played it's it, a it's his, a fascinating case his walk-off quote cracked me up where he was just like hey I just, I just wanted to introduce legislation. <laughs> <laughs> We've all known him for many years. Yeah. We know what he's up to, but there was an easy way out and Jones did not take it. Good story. It's on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio, and that's it for Monday. we got a lot of news left over from the weekend. We'll try and talk about it tomorrow, depending on how today goes. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to this podcast.